Okay, we return to our study of Ecclesiastes, uh, a book that is uniquely uh, insightful, uh, uniquely profound. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a book about life in, uh, life in a fallen world. Uh, it's, it's pessimism, it's cynicism, or actually, we might say just realism uh, in a world over which uh, the curse of Genesis 3 still uh, reigns and is operative. Solomon's goal in this book is to teach you as a believer in God and a follower of Jesus Christ how to live wisely in that world, that world that is still affected by sin. Uh, his goal is to keep you uh, looking forward uh, to the time when the Lord will apply His redeeming work to its fullest extent, uh, applying the crosswork of Jesus Christ to its fullest extent so that what has been bent will be straightened and what is broken will be forever fixed. Uh, in the first six chapters, Solomon taught us uh, wise living by showing us a series of things that tend to increase our frustration level uh, in a sin-cursed world. He wants to teach us how to live wisely in this world, and so he tells us about certain things that will trip us up if we're not careful in this under-the-sun experience. He talked about uh, the futility of seeking meaning, purpose, and contentment in the wrong places or in the wrong uh, person or people. Uh, he taught us about a wrong view of God's sovereignty, uh, about injustice, the dangers of a wrong view of man uh, and of death, oppression, work wrongly approached, whether it's uh, rivalry and competition in the workplace or the other extreme, laziness. Uh, so we covered all of those things, rivalry, laziness, uh, overworking. Talked about a lack of companionship. Talked about the fleeting nature of popularity. Uh, foolish religion, uh, demanding prayers by which you try to force God to give you what you want in the Christian life. Political corruption and wrong views of money and material things. When we get to chapter 7, Solomon brings uh, a new theme. From the beginning of chapter 7 through chapter 10, he addresses what we refer to as the misuse of wisdom, the misuse of wisdom. You see, wisdom gives you an edge on life, but it doesn't give you an immunity from the realities of life under the sun. So Solomon warns about the dangers of uh, formula-type living, uh, the danger of thinking that you can control God by doing, doing a certain thing. Say, if, if I just live well enough, if I just live godly enough, then God will give me only good and only blessing. Then I can force God into a corner, assuring myself of perpetual blessing and safeguarding uh, my life against adversity. So Solomon dealt with that attitude and made it clear that you can never force a sovereign God to give you a trial-free life. You guys, come on in. You're not going to bother us. So he said, basically, God is good. God is sovereign. God is wise. Uh, God will certainly give you uh, much blessing uh, but God will also give you adversity. God is also going to give you in the Christian life. He's going to give you trials. He's going to give you difficult things in your life when you need them in order to teach you to trust Him. Now, in the final verses of chapter 10 and the opening verses of chapter 11, Solomon gave us two of the sinful attitudes that develop when we have that kind of, 
of formula, th- formula thinking or that formula way of living, which are to become on one, on one side bitter, uh, res- to become bitterly resentful. So in other words, we have, this, we have these situations in our life where we, have, we recognize that we don't know what's coming, we don't know the future, and we can't control the future. And for some people, that drives them to fr- frustration and resentment because the things are out of their reach, they're out of their control, and rather than accept them from God's good hand and understand His sovereignty and His providence, they become uh, frustrated by that. Or on the other side, they become paralyzed by anxiety and by fear. And we talked about uh, those things last week. And then Solomon gave us the better alternative to those things, which is a blending together uh, or a biblical mixture of wise human responsibility and a full and robust understanding of divine sovereignty. So Solomon says, you don't know the future, you you can't control the future, but rather than becoming bitter and giving into frustration, rather than, than whining and complaining and spreading criticism, guard your heart and your tongue, be responsible, and trust the Lord. And rather than becoming anxious or fearful, and your life becoming inactive in areas where you have a burden of obligation, uh, in areas where you have a God-given responsibility to strive and to work. He says, be sensible with your resources, be willing to take a reasoned risk and plan for things to go wrong, be decisive in your uncertainties, be trusting of the Lord in your ignorance, accepting that there are some things that you cannot change and that you won't always be able to understand what God is doing, and be responsible in your responsibilities. That is to say, attempt to strike the delicate balance between prudence, risk, and providence. Well, Solomon continues to expound on this theme in chapter 11, uh, verse 7, and tells us that life is to be enjoyed, but not always to be explained. Your job isn't to figure out Uh, to figure everything out because you never will be able to do that. But you are to say with the psalmist in Psalm 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That is to say, life is wonderful even when it is painful and even when you cannot understand it. The fact is, you are going to die. The fact is that you uh, are most likely going to bury your loved ones, and unexplainable, inexplicable things will befall you, but your job is to trust, to obey, to be faithful, and to be thankful. Now, in this section from chapter 11, verse 7, down through chapter 12, verse 8, Solomon begins to, we might say, make his final descent. Uh, And in these verses, he gives us several admonitions. He says, if you really... If you really desire to love life and to see good days, then hear what, hear what I'm about to say. And then he gives us three instructions or three principles. We'll cover the first and the second this morning, and then we'll come back to the third one uh, next week. And let me just start out here by reading uh, uh, at least part of this passage. So just follow along there in, in your Bibles. Chapter 11, verse 7, Solomon says, "...the light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun." Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. 
and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. So, so we're approaching the, the end of this book, and Solomon is summarizing the things that he has taught us up to this point and giving us some important implications. Uh, he's been saying all along the way that life is totally uncertain. Life is totally uncertain. Uh, that you and I have no idea what the future holds in our day-to-day experience. But he's also been reminding you that death, death is totally certain. Death is totally certain. For example, back in Ecclesiastes 9.3, he says this, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives, and afterwards they go to the dead. Verse 12 of chapter 9, Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. So he's he's pulling it all together and he's saying, think about your life up to this very moment, regardless of your age, because it was what we're going to talk about. There's some things here that are addressed to, I think, older people, the the old people. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which... uh, (laughs) Uh, I'm at that point, I'm 44, but as of a, a month ago, I had to get reading glasses. So I'm sort of in this like weird time in my life where, you know, some of the things we'll talk about, particularly next week, that aging process that I'm, I'm experiencing some of the things that we're going to talk about. And we'll have some people, I'm sure, in the room that will be amening a lot. Uh, see if I can get my uh, 80, 88-year-old grandmother to be here next week. She's, she pops in every once in a while. Uh, but he's saying, think about your life up to this moment. Whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're in your youth, think about your life and think about all that you've squandered. Think about all that you've squandered. Everything before your conversion to Christ was squandered. Everything, everything before Christ, B.C., in your life, was squandered. And since your conversion... Think of how many resources have been wasted on your idolatrous pursuits, not taking into consideration the lessons that Solomon has covered in this book. Think of all the time and the labor spent on trying to gain the approval of others. Think of all the money spent trying to chase after some short-lived pleasure or some dead-end source of contentment. Solomon says, wasted. But you can't go back. You can't change, in fact, the the timing of your conversion. You can't change that. And you can't go back and change the decisions that you've made since that time. And thankfully, as our pastor has been reminding us in the last couple of weeks, in God's wise and good providence, He has ordained those things and will use them for His glory. But going forward, you can change what you choose to do with the remainder of your days. So Solomon says, redeem the time. Buy up the opportunities that God has for you now and any that he may have for you in the future. So Solomon gives to us really three, three principles about life for those who are both young and old. 
men, women, children of all ages. And we're going to look at these first two this morning. The first one is this. Principle number one, rejoice in your life. Rejoice in your life. Enjoy life as a gift from God's hands, which really isn't something new. Solomon has mentioned this idea already in his sermon. But again, here he is summing up, and his summary is that you and I should enjoy life as a gift from the Lord. Verse 7, the light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Verse 8, indeed, a man, if, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. Verse 9, rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Again, this, this command to enjoy life isn't new to Ecclesiastes. We saw it back in chapter 5 as Solomon summed up his counsel on money. He said this back in 5 verse 18. He says, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. In other words, what he's saying there is that enjoyment is a part of our reward from God. So it's not just the gifts that God gives to us. One of the gifts that God gives to us is the ability to enjoy his gifts. Because people all around us have gifts from God, but they don't have the ability in many cases to enjoy those things. Furthermore, he says in verse 19, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Then in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he's given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. This idea of enjoying God's good gifts from food to marriage to work, is a significant part of Solomon's counsel for living life in a sin-cursed world. Now, why is that? Well, because the curse is hard, right? Uh, There's evil all around us. Solomon says, God has given you some good things to help ease your passage through this difficult life. So enjoy those things. Amidst the difficulties, amidst the complexities, God has given you certain blessings to help reduce the frustration level and to help you to glide through some of the tight places. So wise Christian living isn't gloomy. It is both serious and joyful at the same time. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. So we ought to be serious about joy which means that we don't view despair as godly or despondency as wise living. Rather, we consciously choose to enjoy life. Verse 7, he says, The light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. That is to say, being under the sun has its limitations, but being in the light and being able to see the sun are far more pleasant than the alternative. (laughs) Right? To be in the light and to see the sun, even though we're under the sun, is still a blessing and better than the alternative. In verse 8, he says, Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. 
most likely directed here to those who are older. We'll call them the old people. I kept struggling with just, do you call them old people? I was just thinking about, is there elderly? Just, yeah. Okay. Let's just say, let me just say, when we get to the description of the dilapidated house next week, I'll argue with you on some of those things. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I'll have evidence. I'll have evidence. So. So I think he's directing this here to the old people. Um, uh, Solomon's counsel here is for them to rejoice, to rejoice over their long life, to enjoy the sweetness of life. So there's going to be trouble, there's going to be trials, and old people know that because they know those things because they've experienced those things. They've experienced those times. But those who are wise understand that the trials and the travails of a lifetime just serve to make the joys all the more pleasant and sweeter. Therefore, they are able to rejoice in them all, knowing that the latter days of life and the time of dying will pass swiftly. Rejoicing in the goodness of life. What a joy it is to live for many years, not only because we have more time to serve the Lord in sowing and reaping, which is that process he described for us in the previous verses, verses 1 to 6 that we looked at last time, but also because we have more opportunity to enjoy the goodness of life. And for the faithful believer, long life is a blessing from God. Psalm 91, verse 16, the Lord says, with a long life, literally with, with length of days, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. So don't take life for granted. Don't complain about all of your problems. But praise God for everything sweet you taste and everything bright that you see. Then Solomon says this to the young people. He says, rejoice in your life. He says basically the same thing, rejoice in your life. In fact, he commands them to get all of the enjoyment out of life that they possibly can. Verse 9, rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desire, desires of your eyes, which sounds like something out of a Disney movie. Right? I mean, it sounds like, hey, it's, it's all there within you. You can do it. Just go and, and just fulfill your destiny and your dreams, right? And if what Solomon says bothers you, you're in good company because Solomon's audience would have probably been confused and upset at this point. After all, in Numbers chapter 15, verse 39, the Lord instructed the children of Israel not to follow after their own heart and their own eyes. So what's going on here? Well, there's more to the verse, right? That small little qualifier there at the end of verse 9, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things. Which is interesting because four times in the first part of this chapter, Solomon emphasized just how little we know. Back in chapter, in this same chapter in verse 2, he says, Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Verse 5, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. But here in verse 9, He says, you better know this. 
Okay, you don't know this and you don't know that and you don't know. There's a lot of things about life that you and I don't know. But you better know this. God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Literally, the God will bring you into the judgment. As if he's, he's thinking about a very specific event. And there is a specific event. There is a day of accounting. There is a day of retribution. There is a day of judgment. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 declares the same basic theological truth, right? The writer of Hebrews says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes what? Judgment. So, wise living enjoys life, but it does so within the boundaries of God's rules as revealed in the Scriptures. And it does so with God's holy character in mind, and it does so with a heart that fears God and loves God. Now, you may be wondering why it is that Solomon puts such an emphasis on this idea of enjoyment. And perhaps it is because life is so painful. Sin is hard. Suffering is hard. And for us, Jesus, we know, has has won the victory, but his triumph has not been fully applied to our Genesis 3 situation. Remember verse 8, the days of darkness are many. So until we meet the Lord, while we're, we're walking on this planet, this earth, sin is going to hurt, adversity is going to hurt, it's going to be a struggle. The days of darkness will be many. I mean, Solomon, he's, he's never backed away from that. I mean, he's not trying to, he's basically saying we're, we're, we're checking the rose-colored glasses at the door. You know, we're, this is the way life is. This is the way life is. The days of darkness will be many. But God has given us many gifts and wants us to go out of our way to enjoy them. That is to say, enjoyment has a legitimate, God-ordained place in a Christian's life. So as Solomon sums up his counsel in Ecclesiastes, he gives you this first principle. Because life is going to have its futility and its vanity and its frustration. And God's gifts used in God's way and for God's glory, are a huge help in negotiating the challenges of a fallen world. So rejoice in your life. Praise God for the strength of your youth. And experience the spontaneity of life. If you're, if you're a young adult, young person, and again, when, you, when, when Solomon goes through here and he's using these terms for childhood, and a young man, and and the prime of life. It, it's it's it, when he says even the we use the term childhood. We're not talking about when I think childhood. I think back to my like second grade like school teacher or something like that uh, of early childhood. But it's really a term that goes up and really covers childhood all the way through the teen years into young adulthood. We could even say that when, he's, when he refers to a young man, that he's not referring to a 22-year-old. <laughs> he could be referring to a 30-something-year-old, even up to 40 years of age, right? <laughs> All the way up to 45 years of age, right? <laughs> that's only one yeah, that's one. Some German liberal scholar believes it's, uh, the, that when you turn 46, you go into old age, but no. So he's just saying, don't, if, if you are a young adult, don't let those moments pass by. 
Enjoy and experience the spontaneity of life. Life will tend to become more regimented as you grow older. You will begin to think in terms of an 8 to 5 workday or in terms of mealtimes, breakfast, lunch, and supper. Amen. And then it's weekend to weekend. And then it's holiday to holiday. And eventually it's year to year. Don't be like the average young adult who thinks mainly of themselves, expecting everyone else to operate on their schedule, living for the moment but not considering the consequences of their actions, acting on impulse, leaving a mess behind for others to clean up, but accept the call to live a holy life, knowing that the judge is always near, knowing that everything that you do and everything that you decide matters for eternity. We might say it this way, rejoice responsibly. In other words, enjoy life's pleasures, but not in sinful ways. Rejoice in the prime of your life and enjoy life, but without being defrauded. And you and I are defrauded when, when all we do is focus on the season of the prime of life without considering the length of eternity. So it's, it's only when we get, we get so focused in on those, in that life situation, that stage of life that we're in, that we don't take into consideration those other stages and what's coming in the future. So from childhood through young adulthood, enjoy life, cherish what God has given to you, live life to the fullest, but do it in light of judgment. Every vain word, every vain action, every vain thought, every vain pursuit of happiness, all those things, right? Jesus said this, every careless word, right? I mean, we will give an account for these things. So the question is, do you enjoy life? Do you enjoy life? Notice he says, let your heart be pleasant. How many days have you squandered and wasted with the frustration and vexation of wishing your life were different? How many days has your heart not been pleasant because you were disputing with God about a cursed existence that is short and fleeting in vain? Time spent worshiping yourself and becoming angry and depressed because things weren't going the way that you wanted them to go. With no pleasantness in your heart, because you front-loaded your life with idolatrous expectations. Solomon's charge to you, rejoice, rejoice in your life. Rejoice in your life. Every second that you are alive, enjoy life. Enjoy the life that God has given to you. Principle number two, and it's found here in verse 10, is repent of your disputing with God. Repent of your disputing with God. He says there in verse 10, So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Which I think is just another way of saying repent. <laughs> repent. The, the New American Standard says this, and you're, if you have a different translation, you'll notice uh, the NASB says, remove grief and anger from your heart. So he mentions two things. If you've got an ESV or some other translation, you'll probably notice there's just one, uh, one uh, thing indicated there. But, and that's because in, in the Hebrew text, it's, it is only one word. Um, and it's translated even within the book of Ecclesiastes in different ways. But it essentially means vexation or... Frustration. It can even mean be translated as anger. 
It's translated as, as sorrow uh, in one place. And uh, so I think what Solomon is doing is he's saying, listen, cr- Christians are asking themselves, why doesn't life to go that I, why doesn't life go the way that I want it to go? That, that, that they're at, they keep asking themselves that question. So they keep bumping up against this, this issue of the sovereignty of God. They keep dealing with this issue of idolatrous expectations in their life. And so they're, they're constantly wondering why it is that they have this expectation, this, this image, this portrait, this, this picture, this vision of what their life ought to be, and yet because of the curse... Um, and as we said, even God's hand in bringing us adversity, uh, we we walk around wondering why things are going the way that they're go that they're going. And Solomon just comes back again. This is him summarizing his. This is his challenge to all the things that we talked about in this in this uh, sort of transactional way of living, this formula way of living, this believing that we can if we just. If we just follow God's principles, especially the book of Proverbs, if we just put into practice God's proverbial principles that we can guarantee the outcome. Solomon say, you keep bumping up against this. You keep fighting against this. You keep asking this question, this question about why life doesn't go the way you want it to go. And he's saying, basically, you've got to remove that from your heart. You've got to remove that vexation, that frustration from your heart. People will say, well, why can't I be satisfied here and now? They're still, they're still looking for some form of permanent, lasting satisfaction in the things, the gifts that God has given and not in the giver, not in God himself. Why can't I be satisfied here and now? Why can't I experience that under the sun? Solomon says, you've got to repent of that. You've got to repent of that. Wherever there is anxiety, sinful fear, anger, bitterness, complaining, by your response, you are telling God that He shouldn't have cursed this life, that He shouldn't have done what He did. You are telling God, in in essence, that He made a mistake in His providence. You're telling the Lord that you know better. And, and so Solomon, after making all of these, these, these points up to, this, up to this section, he just gets to this point. He says, listen, you've got to remove that from your heart. You've got to put that away from your heart. Life is too short to be squandered disputing with God. And yet, folks... I, I counsel people every week. I mean, they have been disputing with God for years, for years. Unwilling to humble themselves before God. Uh, unwilling to be faithful and just responsible in their God-given responsibilities. T- trying to manipulate life, to manipulate people and circumstances so that they can fulfill their own idolatrous lusts and wants. Solomon says, you need to put that away. Remove it. Remove grief and anger from your heart. And then he says, put away pain from your body. 
The word for pain is actually the word for evil uh, or wickedness. Sometimes it's translated as calamity. So I think what Solomon is telling you is don't squander your life through the pain or evil that you're going to incur in your life due to your idolatry. Because that's what's going to happen. People who are wrestling and, and, and are uh, quarreling with God in their hearts inevitably make sinful decisions and choices which lead to calamity and pain and affliction. So this is part of Solomon's summary. He says, put these things away from your soul, put them away from your heart, the passion of your life, turn your back on the things of the world, turn to the Lord and love Him because life is fleeting. Back in chapter 3, verse 14, he said, I know, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it for God has so worked that men should fear Him. Basically, God's providence is perfect. So perfect that if you added anything to it, you would mess it up. God's providence is so perfect that if you subtracted anything from it, you would mess it up. It couldn't be any more detailed, any more perfect than it already is. You cannot improve on what God has done. You cannot straighten what He has bent. You cannot improve on his providence and his plan. Back in chapter 17, verse 13, he said, Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. So his, one of his conclusions is repent, repent of your disputing with God, repent of your quarreling with God. For youth, and you could translate it dark, darkness, and the reference here, they, some believe is he's going to go on in chapter 12, he's going to talk about how that when you, in your, uh, the process of aging, and as you get older, guess what? Your dark hair turns to white. <laughs> so so, so uh, one translation says the prime of life, But basically, he's saying, for the days of your childhood, the days of your youth, and the days of young adulthood when your hair is dark, (laughs) that time is, is fleeting. It's passing. It's a breath. Life is too short to try to improve on what God has done. So there's no time to waste. So stop your complaining. Stop feeding your anger. Stop brooding about your problems. Get over your anxiety. Don't get trapped by those things in your life. Those are the sort of things that lead young people to rebel and often makes them plunge into distressful and dangerous situations and hurtful experiences. Solomon says, Don't let those things gnaw away at your soul. Don't become an angry young man or woman, resenting what God has given you or where He has placed you provoking God to judgment. So monitor the impulses of your life so that you don't squander 
and spoil the days that God has given you. Learn to distinguish between innocent joy and evil. And you might say this to, to the young, to those who are young, so now what you want to reap later. So now what you want to reap later. So three principles, uh, very helpful. And again, these are not new things. This is just Solomon sort of pulling it all together for us. Rejoice in your life, he says. Rejoice in it. Enjoy life. But remember that you're going to give an account. So this isn't just a, a, a blank check, not just to go out and do whatever you want. It's to... Um, it, it, so someone summarized the book of Ecclesiastes uh, uh, this, this way. He said, uh, live, live life without restraint. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then he says, but live life without regret. So he's just saying, listen, there, there, there's risk, there's opportunity. God doesn't want us to hold back. He, he wants us to take advantage of the opportunities. He wants us to take a reasoned risk. He wants us to, to be decisive. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be responsible. He doesn't want us to be gripped by fear and anxiety. He didn't want us to, to resist His providence and His sovereignty and to become bitter and resentful. So he, he wants us to take advantage of the time that He's given to us on this planet, and He wants us to enjoy His gifts, but we're just always to do those things knowing that we're going to have to give an account. And we want to be able to look back over our lives and to not have regrets about the decisions and the choices that we've made. So rejoice in your life and repent of your disputing with God. And then the third principle we'll look at next time as we sort of move into chapter 12, these first uh, eight verses. He again addresses in particular the, the young uh, but tells them this key sort of principle about remembering their Creator. Remembering their Creator. We'll unpack that. And then again, he gives us a description of a, of a dilapidated, falling-down house and mansion. Uh, it's it's real, real fascinating to look, to look at those verses, and we'll do that together. And then we will probably, I'm thinking we're probably going to wrap up this month, so we probably have next week and maybe two more Sundays to finish up the end of chapter 12. Um, and then our plans, I think at this point, are to spend the month of August. Uh, we'll we're, we're do some individual, you might, you might call them topical things. Uh, I've got a couple, couple things that I want to do in between series. And then we're going to return in September and do a fast-paced study of the Song of Solomon. Uh, probably a book that some of you have never read um, and probably even more have, have never studied. And we're not going to get down into every verse. <laughs> but I want you to understand the book. I want you to have a framework, what, 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 what it's about. And there's some great, uh, I think, great uh, wisdom there for us. But it just seemed to me if we've, we've spent so much time in the book of Ecclesiastes, we, we've seen sort of Solomon on the back end of life, looking back over his life and, and, and giving us these life lessons that it makes sense to me to go back to the earlier days of Solomon and um, see what he has to say about uh, dating and courtship and relationships and marriage and conflict and marriage and communication and solving problems, and there's just some really practical things there. So we'll probably spend about 10 weeks, I think, in the, in the uh, Song of Solomon, 
uh, hopefully wrap that up before we hit the Thanksgiving break. So, so that's the plan. Um, so that that's what we'll aim to do here in the next few weeks. So we'll, we'll plan to finish up Ecclesiastes, Lord willing, uh, by the end of July, and um, and then we'll do some do some other things. So, any any thoughts or comments, questions?